Hello and welcome back to The Big Rishu, the podcast where we're tracking the first 100 days of Rishi Sunak's premiership, seeing what he gets up to and if he delivers on any of his promises. I'm joined today by Ben Blissett, TLDR, the UK's lead writer. Hello. And Rory Taylor, TLDR's social media coordinator. Hello. How are you both doing? Good. I'm Good. doing very well. Not Good long since we were last here. No, it doesn't feel like it. No, no, no not at all. We've um, been out of the country. You've been holding I, the fort. I've been here. You've been, been doing working. the daily briefing yeah. and working hard. So you're going to have to tell us what's been happening in the UK because it's crazy. Yeah. There's been stuff going on yeah. probably. I mean, even though it's only been a few days since we last did this, there is actually quite a quite a bit to talk about there is actually good. quite a bit to yeah. talk about is a better hook at the beginning of the episode than last <laughs> yeah. time yeah, so true. you got some kickback in the comments last Did time because they were saying that um you were you were talking down how interesting the content was and that they the the audience i think the people that matter yeah thought that uh there was it, it, was, I, it was good i agree i was talking it down but i think justly so i'm not going to dispute the fact i was talking down the importance um what is important though is um is a fairly major Rishu that uh, Sunak is dealing with. You're gonna get you're gonna get hate in the comments for using Rishu again. I use and it. I agree with you. You shouldn't. We, there's no debate. This is an un, a totally unnecessary sidebar. Every single episode, <laughs> the first instance, I say Rishu. You okay. know, okay, okay, okay. it's always yeah. gonna happen. You can't. This okay. is the, this is the compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna use it twice now, and you're not gonna know when the second time's coming. Oh no. Okay. So the first Rishu that um, Sunak's facing is. Uh, in relation to kind of his general power, which is a, a fairly big issue to have. Um, obviously, um, Sunak has had some issues with things like housing and levelling up lately. And this has kind of seemingly undermined his power more generally and led some people to question what he's really doing in office. Um, but kind of on those first points, on housing and levelling up, he had some big plans that didn't really go anywhere. What's what's the overview there? How is he his power slipping specifically in that area first? Yeah, so... Sunak had a, had a plan a couple of weeks ago um, to introduce a compulsory target for councils to build 300,000 new houses per year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as we know, there's a huge housing crisis in this country. Mm -hmm. um, the, the house prices are going up uh, at a much faster rate than um, income, yeah. uh, which means that it, it's becoming increasingly unaffordable for people to own houses. And, and part of that problem is because we're just not building houses quickly enough. Sure. Population's growing, not enough houses. Uh, more ex means more expensive houses means fewer people owning their own homes. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, we know about this. This has been a problem for a number of years and not much has, has happened to address it. So his plan was to introduce a new compulsory target for councils to build 300,000 new houses a year. Mm -hmm. um, the issue is, is that some of his backbenchers weren't too keen on this idea. Yeah. Um, it had been suggested that up to 100 MPs were going to sign an amendment to um, change the compulsory nature of this to um, more, of a, an, uh, more of an advisory one. So certain councils could get out of building mm -hmm. uh, their the, the number of houses they're required to build by saying that, for example, the houses um, might affect, uh, might change the character of an area. Um, which they're all going to do. Which, like, no houses would be built. Yeah, exactly. So this sort of comes back to a sort of dispute between local residents not wanting yeah. houses to be built because more housing in your area lowers the house price of your home yeah. um, because there's there's um, less demand. demand for yeah. your house. You know, pretty simple economics. So... Uh, they're, they're not in favour, and also obviously while the building work's happening and everything, mm -hmm. that, that that that's not that's not going to be great. So, but most most of the people that would be uh, against this would presumably be in rural areas. Um, the, you know, the, these are areas where houses are going to be built, mm -hmm. uh, which are traditionally conservative areas. Yeah. Hence, why some backbench Tory MPs aren't in favour. Um, Sunak this week has backed down 
on that mm -hmm. and has agreed that he won't make this a uh, compulsory target. Him and the current housing minister, Michael Gove, agreed not to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an indication of the fact that Sunak can't really uh, en enact policies that he think are he thinks is important. Um, this isn't the first time we've seen this. I'm sure we'll get into some other areas in a minute. Sure. But basically, he had a policy. Uh, backbenchers got annoyed about it, and he just sort of backed down. And I think that this sort of demonstrates the current state of the Conservative Party, that the Prime Minister isn't able to, mm -hmm. able to enact his own policies because of the factional nature of the party itself. It's interesting because this is, a, as you say, this is clearly an objective of his. It's an important area of his broader agenda. It might not be like number one priority for him, but housing is a major issue in the UK, and he had a clear plan to kind of deal with that. And the classic, as you say, people don't want more houses because it brings down the price of their house. But everyone's in agreement that house prices are too high, theoretically, but mm. not in my area, in my village. Those houses need to stay expensive. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's an ongoing issue, but it's interesting that this being a pretty important issue, especially for younger people mm. who might not vote conservative right now, but I don't know, yeah, younger people, the definition of younger people being able to, not being able to buy houses is slipping up year by yeah. year. And you're eventually going to get a point when conservatism kind of becomes an existential issue. So the fact they're not able to push this through, as you say, it's quite telling just, as a really important topic. Before we move on as well, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be somebody out there watching this episode who might be thinking to themselves, is housing really that big of an issue? Sure. I just want to sort of give one uh, fact that I think is, is mind-blowing about the, the housing crisis before we move on, just to demonstrate why it's such a problem. Mm -hmm. In 1990, so about 30 years ago, um, the average house price was about four times the national medium income. Mm -hmm. um, I think a couple of years, I don't know the exact year, but you know, a couple of years ago, like 2018, 1920, somewhere sure. around there, um, that had increased to eight times. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in London, that's about 12-ish times. Yeah. I mean, so that's that, that takes into it. But yes, that's that, 12-ish times if you're not spending any money on anything else. Yes. If you literally just had no cost yeah. and you just and, put your money aside. The, the, that, that by its very nature accounts for things like inflation and everything else. That, sure. that, that, that by its very nature does that. Um, it's not just that house prices are getting more expensive because, you know, inflation happens and yeah. everything else. When you actually compare it to the national in income, terms. it is, it yeah. is mind-blowing how much. And that's in 30, that's just in 30 years. Yeah. And this is a problem for the Conservatives specifically because home ownership has traditionally been a real kind of a moment of kind of more Tory switch. There's mm. kind of getting married, having children, and owning your own home. All of those things notably increase your likelihood to lean towards the Conservatives. And marriage rates are dropping, child the kind of birth rates are dropping, yeah. people having fewer children. And it seems that whether they want to or they don't, people are just unable to buy houses. So they're kind of the three major tenets of turning people Tory they've lost on or they're losing mm. on. The first two, there's not a whole lot they can do about. I mean, cultural stuff, I guess, tax stuff, whatever, for kind of marriage and birth. But housing is something they could do something about, but aren't really yeah. seeming able to. Um, is there anything else you want to say on like what this means for the Conservatives more generally? Obviously, you've said the kind of the factional nature of the party that the Prime Minister isn't able to push through what he wants. But what, what else can we learn from this kind of housing debacle and kind of Sunak's lack of power? Yeah, well, as I say, I mean, firstly, as you say, uh, it demonstrates the factional nature. But it just, it, I think that the, the biggest thing here is it shows that if, well, if Sunak has any solution to the big problems that people are concerned about, mm -hmm. he can't get them through. And, and, and thirdly, I, I, I don't think 
it, it shouldn't be that much of a con controversial issue. Any other government realistically shouldn't struggle too much to get to get their, their plans through, especially with the majority that Sunak has. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind, they have like a pretty decent majority currently. Yeah. It's it's showing that Sunak's ability to govern yeah. is is being whittled down. It's also showing that he's he's not standing by his guns, and it also shows that he's he's. Uh, creativeness with policies mm. it just isn't really there. He seemed, uh, over the summer hustings, that he had some ideas that he was going to stand by. Yeah. He actually looked, um, compared to Trust, quite strong on certain issues and quite ideological. Yeah. And what we're seeing now, maybe he's been spooked by what happened to Trust, that he's just not willing to stand by the, those those policies. I think when you see, I think it was something like 100 MPs who mm. backed that amendment that yeah. would have got rid of the mandatory housing target, like, that is a real demonstration of, mm. to him, that you know, there's there's a huge part of the party that is willing to kind of go against what the government actually wants to do, even on issues like housing, which obviously are important. But as Ben said, ordinarily wouldn't be all that controversial. Three hundred thousand new houses, sure, residents might not love it, but yeah, you're right. That yeah. is, it's a worrying number for him, considering the kind of policy. It also demonstrates that he's not willing, and this is this is the key point that I should have stressed more. Actually, he's not willing to stand by his guns. Previous governments and. Trust did this, and I think he—I think he's been spooked by this mm -hmm. because the thing that sort of brought Trust down was, I think, the night before she resigned, there was this chaotic night mm -hmm. in Parliament where she had a what was the actual issue? She had a uh, three-line whip on fracking. Yeah, yeah it. of course. And and people rebelled, but Sunak could have stuck by his guns and gone, "No, sorry, this housing thing's important. Yeah, you will be voting with the government. I'm going to put a three-line whip on it. Oh, it yeah. Didn't even have to be a three-line. He could have just whipped. Yeah. So he could have told but, MPs they had to vote for it. But he he knows that he doesn't have that much authority. And and He's been spooked by Truss's downfall. Also, yeah. he'd win anyway, right? 100 MPs, presumably the opposition exactly. would support yeah. the but government. But then it's, yeah. then I mean, those, it's not a good yeah, look, Those rebels like, can say you relied on Labour votes. But if I can kind of jump in to defend Rishi Sunak here, as I, I'm always doing Yeah, always, um, every day. Uh, you know, you I knew think the government... school, didn't you? No, no very different. <laughs> no. Very different. Oh, sorry. Um, so he... Uh, so I think the government argue that when they were faced with these potential rebellions on, mm. on housing and also wind farms, which we might come on to, um, they postponed the vote. They went and talked to the, the so-called rebels mm -hmm. and they listened to them and they changed their policy, you know, based on that. Yeah. Some might say that is effective governing by listening to the wings of your party that have issues with, with what you're proposing. Mm -hmm. um, it obviously, you can frame it as, a, well, it is a U-turn yeah. um, and it is conceding, mm -hmm. but that is part of running a, parliamentary sure. party is listening to the to the views of your party yeah absolutely but you should be doing the fact that they've written the bill and that they were willing to put that forward and then spoke to people doesn't show that you're willing to listen to the what that's showing is that you are, are worried that you're about to lose a vote and then spoke to the rebels if you wanted to do competent governing what you'd have done is you'd have spoken to the rebels before you drafted the bill to get their views on I, the bill i see your point but but part of the process you know the bill part of the process of, of you know putting a bill through parliament to become law you know at every stage there are changes that can be made people to, that can be listened to i appreciate this was quite late on um but i think it, you know w with the wind farm thing mm -hmm. they also u-turned mm -hmm. in the face of a potential rebel amendment um but you know that's something that actually like the opposition were in favor of as well i think there's there is a difference when I mean, it's obviously different because one thing is viewed as good, one thing is viewed as bad. Sure. Um, but I think centrally that is part of what governing actually is, is listening to your parts of the party, even though, you know, I disagree that they got rid of the mandatory housing targets, but I don't think it necessarily 
shows a complete lack of control. So I would because so, listening to listening and changing policy is a method of of control. So, so there's, there's sort of two things here. I think the first thing is that it's key that it's within the their, their party. I would say that it going through parliament is to get the views of other parties. Uh, and, and yeah, sure, it goes to committee and there's people of your own, but I think mainly it's so that you can get the whole House commenting on that. I think you should have spoken to these people before. And secondly, I think that, I, I completely agree, but I think bills are generally tweaked as they're going through, and they're small bits that, that, that the, the government might not have thought about before were tweaked. I think that's a fairly fundamental part of that bill yeah. that, they had, that they had to change um, about compulsory housing targets. If they were concerned that that wasn't a, the right policy before, the fact that they'd written it up and it had gone through, you know, it, it, it was was about to go through Parliament, and that they then spoke to the the rebels demonstrates that they they hadn't actually thought through the core elements of the bill. This isn't tweak. That isn't tweaking the bill. That is but fundamentally you, but changing do you, it. Do you feel that? Do you feel equally passionately about the U-turn on on onshore wind, or is it is it the nature of the? I think of the, I, of the topic. I, in, 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 in complete honesty, I don't know a huge amount about the, the onshore wind. I think that I, uh, housing is a huge, mm. huge issue in this country. There is a housing crisis. We've covered this a number of times. So I think it's the, the important nature of the subject matter yeah. and the fact that it's a fundamental part of the bill and that they should have spoken to... The, if, if, they were, if, they were, if they were concerned that that wasn't the right policy, because of how fundamental that is, that yeah. they should have done that beforehand. I totally take your point that you, you, it's right that you can change your mind, things like that. But I think with bills going through Parliament, that's tweaking it. And I think that's, that's fine. You should be presenting as good a bill as you can at the first opportunity when it goes through. And the rest of Parliament sort of brings things through that you haven't thought about, tries to improve and gradually improve that bill as it goes through. Fun, the fundamental parts of the bill should be agreed before it goes, before it goes in. Sure. So regardless of yes. opinion on... <laughs> process whatever there's examples here myriad examples of kind of backtracking of u-turning of whatever and sunak hasn't been in power that long mm. it feels like we're doing this podcast for years but it turns out it's been like a few weeks days, <laughs> yeah, not that many days um so there's been quite a few examples of that we've also in those days not seen sunak that much publicly mm. the couple of times we have seen him in public are cop where he notably u-turned on even attending and at the the speech way, kind of the China the speech, China yeah. speech which it, he also kind of U turned on. So and the G twenty as well. I suppose he was there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a handful of times, and even the times we have seen him kind of back up the previous discussion we were having. What do we think this tells us generally? The fact that he's kind of not necessarily shying away from attention. Maybe it's a bit too soon to make that claim, but certainly not as visible and as present as Johnson was. As a force. I would go what do we far. interpret? I would, would say he's shying away. Okay. I, I, I think that's true. I think there's, I, mean, I think there's a link between his uh, his sort of legislative um, non-presence, mm -hmm. the fact that he's not legislating on the things that he supposedly cares about, like housing, and the fact that he's just not present publicly. Yeah. And I think this all comes down to problems within the Conservative Party and the fact that he is perpetually worried about being brought down mm -hmm. about backbench rebellions yeah. about people um putting pressure on mps to oust him through yeah. bad media performances and all of these things happened to liz truss yeah. she did that absolute car crash of radio interviews in it you know yeah. the local radio interviews which which put pressure on mps to, to get rid of her there was a load of legislative problems you know her mini budget is the prime example <laughs> yeah. of, of her not doing that and i think that sunak's plan at the minute is just to keep lay low keep out of the headlines sure don't don't do anything controversial if there's any whiff of anything going awry mm -hmm. drop it yeah just don't and i think that that is uh 
a very, very interesting way of governing. And I think that, that it has its upsides, yeah. which is that, sure, I mean, how many controversies has there really, if you consider Johnson sure. and Trust, how many controversies that actually, you know, we, we bring them up and there's a couple, but these this is nowhere near on the scale. Yeah, this is controversy around like, policy, not exactly. around yeah, so something you said. The, the yeah. elements of this working, I think it's more than fair mm. enough to say that, that they're planned to, to lay low, there are elements of that working, but as I'm sure we'll get onto, there are certainly negatives with that policy yeah. as well. Roy, do you agree? Is I, he laying low? Yeah, I think, I think he knows that fundamentally he is a different person to Boris Johnson mm-hmm. in that when difficult things are happening, Boris Johnson, his his method, he could rely on his his uh, personality and he, yeah. he would put on a high-vis jacket, go and visit somewhere <laughs> and uh, kind of have the cameras on him. Yeah. Whereas Rishi Sunak knows he, he, can't, he can't rely yeah. on his personality. Um, so, you know, he doesn't basically. Yeah. And I, I think that is why he's doing it. And Ben's obviously referenced the fact that that can help sometimes. Do you think that this kind of strategy is helping the party as a whole or is it kind of helping Labour more? Um I think, I think he's been fortunate in that there was uh, the COP summit and yeah. G20. So those are big things that he did go to and yeah. he was seen and on the international stage and everything. But at home, I think it does open up a space for Labour mm-hmm. and you know other opposition parties as well to kind of fill. Yeah. Um, so he has to tread a balance really, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure he is doing that. I, I think the ma- I think Rory's right. I think the major side effect to this is that you create a media vacuum yeah. where there's there's not much happening. So if you're, if you're trying to stay out of the media, the mm-hmm. media have to report on something. So when Labour come out with, for example, their plans on the constitution last week, that then gets more airtime than it usually would. Sure. And I think honestly, if you're an opposition party, it's it's well known in British politics that if you're in the opposite, uh, you're, you're the opposition party, you don't get airtime. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for you to get onto the front pages because at the end of the day, you don't have any power. Yeah. Like the, the, the media care about things because it's going to affect yeah. people and their lives. You're and talking everything. about ideas, you're talk- not exactly. things that can happen. Whereas yeah. if you're talking about Labour, they, they, they don't have any power. So yeah. the, the, the demonstration last week that, that Labour's constitutional plans were in the news a lot. I know that you obviously do our social media. Mm. So you, you, you know, you, you'll have seen this more than most. That, yeah. that this was spoken about a lot last week. But how often does that actually happen that people talk about? And that is a direct consequence of Rishi Sunak not... Um, being present. And I think and I just one other quick thing as well is the fact that uh, just as a demonstration that I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that he's shying away. Mm-hmm. I think that's an absolutely fair assessment. Um, usually uh, you have ministers five days a week on the airwaves. Yeah. Currently under Rishi Sunak, that's only three days. Sure. He's reduced that. And I think that's another, that's like a direct example mm. of his policy of laying low. Yeah. He's literally reducing the amount of interaction that journalists have with his ministers. Yeah. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I think that is a relatively new, like, not new, new, but wasn't it? I think it's only really since the Cameron era that they've been going on the morning shows every day. So it's not a total deviation to pull back a bit and say, we don't need a minister on Good Morning Britain every day talking about the headlines. It's not really necessary. But... I do see what you're but saying. It's a, deve- a definite step back. A lot of this, this country is, is, is based on developments in convention, and that sure. was a convention that has yeah. been it developed. Has shifted. Yeah, and, right. and, and I would expect that to happen. Um, and the fact that it's been reduced, uh, you know, shows that he is lying low. Yeah. And I mean, you have so many cases under Boris Johnson and Liz Truss where a minister would go on the, you know, BBC Breakfast, Radio 4 Today programme, whatever, mm-hmm. and say with certainty something on behalf of the government. And then yeah. a couple of hours later, the government would contradict that, change mm-hmm. their minds, do whatever. And I think they're quite scarred by that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it would probably be quite difficult to get people out on the airwaves mm-hmm. five days a week. So part, that's part of why, you know, they're reducing that number, I think. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also think that there is something to be said about the polling that the Conservatives are currently on. Sure. Um, basically, uh, there was a YouGov poll today mm -hmm. that put the Tories at 24% and Labour at 48%. And I think that either, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. Him lying low is either him trying to improve those numbers because yeah. he notices that he's really far behind and that coming out with controversial stuff and making it seem like the party's in disarray can't help polling, mm -hmm. or the, ne the, the negative polling for the Conservatives is a result sure. of the fact that they're not doing anything, yeah. that, that he's lying low. And that all depends on interpretation. Um, I, I actually, I, I don't know which way around, it's like chicken and egg, I don't sure. know which way around mm. that is. Um, so I, 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 I don't really have a view on that. But but yeah, I think that um, their negative polling is, is, is certainly playing into this as well. Sure. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> no, that's fine. Okay, so another controversy that Sunak's facing that's kind of related to all of this, but also semi-separate, is surrounding Conservative peer Michelle Moan. Um, there's been a controversy there for a little bit. What's what's going to give us a what's broader overview and also what's the latest? Yeah, story? so um, Michelle Moan, she is a member of the House of Lords, mm -hmm. Conservative member of the House of Lords. She is a businesswoman who was uh, elevated to the Lords by David Cameron in 2015, I think. Sure. Um, she, uh, so the scandal is surrounding a PPE contract that the government gave to a company that she allegedly has links to. Sure. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through that because there's so many different, different okay. parts of this story. Um, basically, during the pandemic, the government had this VIP lane so mm -hmm. that ministers, MPs, lords could make referrals to. Um, they could say, you know, put like companies through this VIP lane so they'd get like the government would look at those first when mm -hmm. considering uh, handing out contracts. And they sure. said this was necessary because we're in, you know, we need to act quickly. Um, there's a company called PPE MedPro that um, Michelle Moan uh, referred to the government through that VIP lane. Yeah. Uh, and it was subsequently given £200 million worth of uh, contracts to wow. make PPE for the NHS, mm -hmm. um, personal protective equipment, yeah. if anyone else is wondering. Um, so, you know, that... You know that that's not unusual, yeah. Um, because that's just the way that the system was set up. Um, but she is facing uh, three kind of separate uh, fronts on this story, sure. basically. Um, one, she is under a House of Lords investigation, um, mm -hmm. which uh, is basically looking into whether she uh, has links to that company and mm -hmm. whether she didn't declare them. Okay. Um, however, that investigation is currently paused because the National Crime Agency are investigating the company itself wow. uh, for fraud. Um, meanwhile, or actually fairly recently, The Guardian did a report. Um, I'm going to read this sentence very carefully because I don't want to <laughs> say anything that can get me sued. Um, the Guardian uh, did an investigation into documents indicating that Quote, Moan and her children secretly received £29 million originating from the profits of that PPE business that was awarded large government contracts after she recommended it to ministers. Wow. So that's the big controversy, really, that... She got 15-ish yeah, percent she got cut, allegedly. Huge amount, allegedly. She got yeah, a huge allegedly. amount allegedly. of money from this company, which she has said she has no involvement mm -hmm. in uh, a number of times. She said that. Um, and... She basically she says she's innocent in what she's being accused for, and the latest the latest kind of event in this story is mm -hmm. that she has taken a leave of absence from the House of Lords so that she can clear her name. Okay. Um, and during this time, she's also lost a Conservative whip because she's taken a leave from absence from the House of yeah. Lords. Uh, so it's pretty pretty big stuff, um, and not not looking great for not. her considering how many different angles there are to it. I mean, when your scandal is three pronged, yeah, yeah, yeah. Messed up. yeah exactly, yeah. Um, 
What's Labour's response to this been? Obviously, she's been a Conservative, so there's some yeah. kind of, there's a issue for Sunak there. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. So Labour, um, they've kind of been criticising the government's VIP uh, contract system yeah. for a while now. But specifically on this, they um, forced a vote in the House of Commons uh, on what through what is called a humble address, which mm-hmm. is a way that the opposition can seek um, or can kind of force the government into releasing documents about certain things. Um, so they tried to do that to uh, get the government to release documents on this contract. Mm-hmm. Um, the government, when, when Labour kind of announced this plan, the government were fairly quick in saying, actually, we're not going to vote down this plan, uh, th- this request from Labour. So Labour's motion to get these documents released passed. So the government have committed to releasing the documents. Sure. Um, so, you know, there was almost like a setup for a big parliamentary battle, but I think it was quite clear that the government were thinking, hang on, we've had these kind of things before mm-hmm. with Owen Patterson, you know, and the other scandals under Boris Johnson. We don't want to have this vote where people can say government voted against the release of this information while yeah. the other parties are trying to be transparent about it. They just gave in pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So at some point we'll get those documents. Yeah, um, that'll be interesting. But it's also, you know, in terms of Rishi Sunak, if I should bring it back to Rishi himself. The big man. Yeah. Um, when uh, I think the first prime minister's questions after that Guardian uh, report came mm-hmm. out, he said he was shocked to read it. And he also said that it's right that she's taken a leave from the House of Lords, um, but that the process that is, you know, kind of uh, ongoing should be allowed to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's very much like, he's not trying to defend her, basically. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he's, I think he's trying to keep this as, uh, you know, do the exact opposite of what Boris Johnson might have done, basically. Yeah. Don't try and fight it. Let the process happen. Mm-hmm. Condemn, you know, what you, what you know, and then see what happens. Yeah. It seems to just be another episode in the long saga of dodgy BP contracts. Yeah, and yeah. I understand, I totally understand why there needed to be uh, a relaxation of the rules mm-hmm. in uh, 2020 when we needed PPE and there wasn't time to vet each thing. You know, I think that's relatively standard, but like that, that's fair enough. I think yeah. not many people would take issue there. But if you're going to do that and relax, there should be some level of accountability for that there should be some level of trust mm. and it's just another example of it being broken it's just yeah. another example of it being taken advantage of in an emergency situation yeah and i think as we get further away from the kind of peak pandemic we're we're going to continue having these yeah. these stories really absolutely yeah. wow i mean just see what happens this could mm. be a big issue for <laughs> yeah. uh, rishi um and one of one of a number of big, bigger and growing issues mm. um, as they kind of culminate and as he continues to hide. Um, yeah, we'll see whether he's still hide, hiding over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, see if he gets he up will be. He could have do a big think, weekend plan. Do you think things will get quieter over Christmas news-wise? Probably. Usually, they, they normally feel do. like they do, but anything can happen. Can't I think it's just because yeah. we've had pandemic the last couple yeah. of years. We've also had Brexit happening over Christmas. We've had a treat. Yeah. A Christmas yeah. treat many years. Yeah. Uh, I think pandemic be... wasn't a treat, actually. I take that back. <laughs> and no, it was Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind we of haven't horrible. had any Christmas treats. I think it's Give us be a really Christmas quiet. treat. Come on. Mm. What can he announce as a treat? I know. Money. I want money. Money. As they can creative. stand out fri- outside number 10 payments. and say, are you ready for Christmas? Like are Theresa May did. Are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> can we cut that clip in now? I don't know if we have that Go. technical ability. Are you all looking forward to Christmas? Are you all looking forward to Christmas?
Lovely, thank <laughs> you. Wow, That's what a, really a clip. Funny clip. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very good. And on that very funny note, uh, that's all we have time for today. Um, I've been your host, Jack Kelly. I've been joined by Ben Blissett and Rory Taylor. Uh, this em- episode was produced by Jan Azamich and edited by Scarlett Watchorn. This has been a TLDR News production for 326 Limited. It may well have been edited by Ben Blissett. Oh, and wow. twist. Shout out. Shout out. What a, what a lad. Mm. No. I'm off. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs>